Welcome to Choosing Leadership and this is another episode of the Investor's Lens series with your host Somit Gupta. This series will look at leadership from the point of view of an investor or a VC. In each episode of this series we will explore what traits, behaviors or red flags investors see in their founders that they work with and how founders evolve over time as they grow and become better leaders. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to create organizations where people get to do the work of their lives. Together let us do our bit to create a world where all of us can show up as leaders. With that let us get started. Eric is the CEO, co-founder and portfolio manager at Naifikna InvestorR, one of Sweden's fastest growing investor networks. In the interview, Eric, an experienced investor and a former CEO himself, reflects on a shift from working in a large corporation to investing in startups. Eric finds inspiration in working with driven entrepreneurs who genuinely believe in their vision, unlike many employees in large corporations motivated solely by a monthly salary. He emphasizes the significance of confidence and empathy for leaders, balancing belief in oneself with the ability to listen and adapt. Hi, Eric. Welcome to the Choosing Leadership Podcast. Hi, thank you very much. Glad to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here. And to begin with, can you start by sharing a little bit of who you are and what do you do today? Yes. My name is Eric and I'm a Swedish citizen living in Denmark. And I've spent major part of my career, career as CEO in different media and tech companies. But since a little bit less than a year ago, I run an investment company called Nukik Namestier, Curious Investors in English, which is an combination of angel syndicate and educational network that gather investors and invest in early stage startups. So I've been going from CEO in large corporations to now working more as an investor and entrepreneur by myself. Yeah. And can you share a bit more of, of that journey that which led you right to becoming a CEO first and then now moving towards more into entrepreneurship or investment? Of course, I've always been very interested in leadership generally. And I think that started on in early ages when I was active. I was actually as a sailor instructor and working a lot in the Swedish Navy before I joined as a conscript. And then I spent some years actually working as an officer in the Navy. So I think that nurtured my interest in leadership. And after university studies, I was happy to find a great company, a big media company, Shipstead Media Group. That's one of the biggest media groups in the Nordics, also with global presence. And I could find fast moving environments where I also could continue to work as a leader, as a generalist leader, but because the environments was very fast moving with international scale belt products and launching new markets and also, and I was happy I had opportunity to take on leadership positions quite early because it was a big need of, of young leaders taking over the world. So, so I think that, that nurtured very much my leadership journey and that went on for, I would say 15 years until I reached a point where I could see that the fast moving environments were more active outside the big corporations. And it was not a quick decision, but for a couple of years, I was started thinking about how it would be to move out from big context and big corporations and actually come back a bit to where I started, but with much more experience working with entrepreneurs and how they are building up their growth journeys and using my experience in leadership and big corporations and still apply them in that context. So that's how the decision started. But then as always, it's an opportunity. I was happy to meet Joanna, my co-founder, who started this network and working a bit with her on the side. And then I came to a point where I felt like okay, this is the right time to leave the big corporations and working on my own network. So yeah, a great decision, but a tough decision as well, but I'm very happy for it. 
Yeah. Can you tell me a bit more about that tough decision part of it, right? So what views or thoughts about leadership have been proven wrong or that have you changed over a period of time after this shift? I think one very big difference moving out from this big context is that you, when you're working more actively closer to, I, I've been working much more closer to the products and investors and entrepreneurs. And I think well, every day I have to ask myself better the things, decisions I'm taking and the things I'm doing, where, which impact it has directly, because it has much a clear impact if we are, if I'm bringing on an investment, if I'm helping an entrepreneur, I think you can see the output much quicker. So it's in a way I'm being much closer to actually seeing the consequences of my own decisions. Working in a very big corporation, even though you are a CEO, sometimes you work completely for somebody else and you work with a structure. It can be an ownership directive. It can be, a, it can be a board decision and so on. So even though we have responsibility corporations, you have so many other factors. It can be also internal politics, culture guidelines and so on. So I think that part has been the biggest change in a positive direction, being able to actually impact and influence and take responsibility of every decision I make. Yeah. And when you work with, with founders or those leaders of companies, right? What do you see traits which are important, let's say more in a startup or an entrepreneur world rather than in a large company, in an organizational setup? I think, I mean, obviously the part that I like with it and which is crucial is to keep the energy and traction up all the time. And I mean, you have less security systems, you are much more on your own. You are, and I think if you don't have this vision and if you don't, are not convinced about what things you're doing, then it's very hard to work as an entrepreneur in a newly started company. But if you believe in what you're doing, then of course, it's much more rewarding because you can focus entirely or maybe not entirely, but at least the majority of your capacity on the things you believe in. So I, and to me, that is very inspiring as well, because I've been seeing so many dysfunctional organizations in large corporations, and I've seen so many employees and also managers being there simply because they get a monthly salary and being there simply because it's comfortable. And then moving out in a context where I see people and work with people completely believe in what they are doing and getting a fraction of those, that money at this time, and yes, working with a dream. I think that's extremely inspiring, but as in any other journey, if you're working as a leader or an entrepreneur in this context, you also, I mean, there are a lot of things you have to keep track of, uh, in order to actually succeed. But I think that's where a good investor or maybe a good board or an advisor can come in and help you because you can't, you cannot handle everything on yourself. Yeah. And do you also play that role as an advisor, apart from, let's say, being an investor? I do in selected cases, uh, and it's very tempted because there are so many cases that need help, but then of course there is limited capacity and time on my end. And sometimes there is also limited financials, how much you can engage in, in different companies, but I do that in some selected cases. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's very, very rewarding to, to, uh, I, I feel honored being close to a driven entrepreneur. I think that's very inspiring. And then I also try to contribute, for example, we are running a board education for fast growing enterprises. That we have a bit different angle than traditional board educations, not focusing so much on running big traditional boards, but rather how do you as a board member in a fast growing enterprise support the company at the best? And how do you adopt to a very fast changing environment as a leader uh, and also as a board member? I think, and I think that's an area where I also find it very inspiring to share some of my experience. I think I've had 26 different board positions in the past from these kind of mm -hmm. companies. So, so I, I realized that I've might have something to contribute with that. Yeah. Yeah. 
And building up on what you said earlier about the power of, of a vision, right? Of something mm-hmm. which pulls the entrepreneur behind it. How do you help them navigate through successes and failures, right? Because it's one thing to have a vision when you start, but it's a totally different thing to retain that vision or to continue to be with that vision when you are facing mm-hmm. challenges, when you are facing setbacks or when people are not supporting you. So what are some of those pitfalls maybe with which success or failure produce? And then how do you, how have you dealt it with your, with, in your own life? And then how do you give it back right now? Yeah. I think it's easy. Sometimes it's very easy to fall in love with your own decision. I think I've done many mistakes by that myself, driving, perhaps driving a transformational strange or working with incubator launch, new launches and startups. The hardest thing is actually also to say no to some of those things that you are falling in love with. And if you are under financial pressure, it's sometimes easier because then the numbers, you, are, you have to be closer to the numbers. I think that it's been historically much harder if you are a well-financed company that have taken on many battles and don't have a, that maybe have the financials, but you don't have the toolbox how to evaluate the cases. Because then you get very engaged in all the cases and you work hard with them and you see, you, I mean, very often you always have some kind of potential, but the challenge is to find this decision where you see that, okay, there might be a potential, but the potential is not right for us. It's not close enough or it's not big enough. And then you need, so there you have to be very precise also in, uh, if you are in a big corporation, you have to be very precise in what are the criteria here and how does it fit with our strategy. So it has to be like a line between the strategy down to what you're doing. If we are looking at an investment and an entrepreneur, I mean, obviously I have a lot of list of things that I check before working into an investment and a part of looking at investment also actually giving feedback to the entrepreneur, even because I think that's also an important journey for the entrepreneur to get feedback. Why did they not get the investment? And that can typically be that I say, okay, this sounds like you have a great ambition. It's a great vision. It's probably making something good, but the time it will take to hit that market and the size of the market and the coming product investment you need to do. I, I might be wrong, but I believe that's probably too small to defend this investment, which might be disappointing for entrepreneur, but it might, might made, made them think, okay, maybe we should focus on another market. Maybe we should scale down our cost space or whatever. So I think being, when I, you build that on experience, right? You build that on both success and failure. And I think the failures I've been doing, I think that has helped me even more in evaluating your cases because then you know what didn't work, not only what did work. Thank you for, for sharing that. I think another important topic which often comes up is, is confidence, right? Because not just you need to have a vision, but you also have to lead many times your team forward in taking some bold decisions. So how do you see the importance of confidence for a leader? And then how do you balance it with the empathy, with slowing down or sometimes listening? Yeah, I don't think, I don't think there is a contradiction between confidence and empathy, because I think being both having a lot of empathy and being confident, I think that's very good because then you believe in what you're doing, but you do it in a nice way and you listen to people around you. And I think that's extremely important. I think what is challenging if you are very confident and don't listen and don't take don't care at all about what's happening around you. That's when you might make a stupid decision. The opposite, not being confident about what you're doing. I think that's dangerous if you're running a startup because there are, you will have so many challenges that you need to keep believing all the time. And some, and you need, and sometimes you might need also to decide who you should listen to. Of course, your team and you're close to your working, but if you listen to everyone, they will probably, you will probably hear more no than yes. And so I think 
your confidence, a good confidence, it can take you a long way, but if you don't, and I think that might be more important in a big corporation, if done in, of course, you need, you have more people around you and you're, they're going to connect the news that you need more listen for it to you. I think you were running as an entrepreneur. It's important to decide, okay, who are you listening to? Probably your closest team, probably maybe somebody in the board who you trust, but don't listen to everyone because then you will be completely lost. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think it, it's, it's, it's the right balance, I would say. And thank you for adding that. Right. So now, since you spoke about like your own journey, can you share a bit more of your vision? Like why did you make this shift and what are the kind of companies that you're investing in? I think one contributing thing in making the shift is that when I, I was looking at these early stage investments from a private perspective, meanwhile, I was working at a big corporation. I realized that even though my big corporation I was working for, it was very, it's a great company, well capitalized and so on. It was taking such long time from identifying a case and also actually making the investments. And there were so many structures in the way in terms of organization and compliance and procedures and so on. And in parallel, I was working a little bit on privately then with those single investors and those early cases. And I could see how they hit the ground running, how they quickly got great people on board and really could make an impact out in the market and amongst users and the society, which is what. I'm burning for to really also see an output of what we're doing. So I think that was what inspired me a little bit to get back to where I started my career, being very close to getting market traction, being very close to actually be able to make an impact. And I think numbers talk for themselves. I think the number I investments I've been either nurturing, doing by myself or helping out with during the past year is far more than when I've been working in larger corporations with much more money. So I think that part has been very inspiring and it is very inspiring, inspiring also being a part of that ecosystem. Yeah. And do you think that that speed change is because of like the processes or everything which is involved with a large organization or was it something else? I think obviously it has to do with a lot of different things. One thing is of course that when I'm working with, we're working with smaller and early investments now, and then there is. Mm -hmm. There is a limited number of analysis factors that you can take into account when you make that kind of due diligence, because you have a smaller amount investment, but you're also earlier. So I think it's, and the fun thing about making early investment is that you, it's much more about believing in the team and believing in the product. When you're making a late investment, you have much more data to compile. You have a lot more financial historical data that takes time. And of course, if much money, more money involved. So then if you are a big company, you have probably a lot of securing structure to, to make sure that you're not waste your money unnecessarily. The yeah. drawback of that is, of course, that you sometimes hesitate a little bit too much and somebody else comes in and take the opportunity. Yeah. And can you share a bit about some of the opportunities that lie ahead for you and what are your, let's say, plans to capitalize on them in the coming few years? Yeah. We, I mean, currently we're working with one case that started out as a global content marketing platform, getting good traction in some countries with actually a couple of hundred thousand users. And then KPT came. And the team proved to be very impressive in making a pivot, adopting the product and building an SMB solution based on ChatGPT, but still with a, a quite unique position and already get a very strong structure. And I think that's a good example of an inspiring case where you see that you have a very competent team that overnight sees something that's happening in, in the world around you and realize, okay, either this is going to kill our case or they might actually list our case. So it's a question is we are an early company, we can take a quick decision, we can also adopt quickly. 
and that is much, much harder in a big corporation. So I think that's, that's a very interesting case where closing investment there. I would probably help out a little bit more also with the company in the earning, uh, going ahead. Yeah. And since you mentioned about chat GPT, what role or balance do you see playing like technology or these new technologies coming in? Playing, especially for founders, right? Where can they capitalize and what are you learning from your experience? And I, I think obviously this is something that you have to take in, 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 into account. It's going to change everything, but it's no, not going to change everything everywhere at the same pace as radically. So I think that's the challenge that you have to understand as a founder. Is this something that completely will change my business or is this something that I just have to take in, into account? So I think that's the first question you have to understand. And if it's something that's completely going to change my business, what can I do? How to pivot or so on? If it's something that I just have to take it into account, then maybe I just can't take it into account and somebody else will be an expert, but I just can bring it in. I mean, obviously the good thing is that not every single person in the world is going to be a chat GPT prompter and expert overnight. So there will be a lot of opportunities for businesses and companies in between understanding the technology and also the interfaces better than ordinary consumers. And then eventually the consumers will follow, but it's going to happen fast, but there was also a bunch of people and businesses that, that will take time to adopt. Yes. I think another thing which you mentioned was that you had a highly competitive team, which were able to capitalize on chat GPT, right? There's also a lot of like fear around chat GPT or AI will take away jobs. What do you think is the importance of like having very skilled, creative or competent people who will be using these technologies in the future? Mm -hmm. I think I can do a parallel. I've been working with media for so many years and we're working as a leader in media companies and newspapers for many years. And you could see a shift when the digitalization came, you could see a quite shift and an opportunity amongst those who saw this as an opportunity and started rethinking from a consumer perspective, how do you produce, com which content is key and then how which channel do you use to distribute it? Meanwhile, some companies were stuck in thinking we make a newspaper and then we make a website and then we make an application. Uh, and some of these companies died. Some of these have eventually managed to transform, but they probably lost some market opportunities there. And I think you can see a parallel here that it's, but, it, but also everyone said this will happen overnight. It happened partly overnight, but it, you, we still have printed newspapers and we're yeah. still selling printed ads, but at a smaller volume. And I think you can see a parallel here with ChatGPT that some companies will quickly see that, okay, this can rapidly change how we are producing content, not replacing humans in every area, but the bulk of things we're doing can be replaced. That on the other hand, will make the role of humans more important to validate and nurture and collect what is produced by AI and put that in a context that is relevant for us as humans or secure it or whatever. So I think yeah. if you're quick to adopt in understanding that, you will also have new jobs. You will take away a lot of work that's done by humans, but you also have other jobs and opportunities coming. And then you also, but then you will have companies following and being late on as well. Yeah. Yeah. So apart from what we have spoken about, like which we can bucket under the umbrella of work, can you share something personal about you, which most people are not aware of? Yeah, I think, well, I think many people know me though. I know I'm a dedicated sailor. I, I spend a lot of time sailing. I actually, we're actually about to move right now here in Copenhagen, but we actually moved on to a sailboat now for a couple of weeks during the summer with our entire family. Yeah, and I think talking, I mean, connecting that to leadership, I think that's, that's the best thing when you're being stressed about your leadership or work, too many things get out sailing because it's, I think it's the same thing as you do in mindfulness, meditation, some kind of sports. You have to be concentrated 
on something where you cannot let go of your focus. Because if you're out sailing at sea and it's a hard storm, if you're maneuvering in a harbor or whatever, and you take your focus, if you pick up your phone then and start checking your emails and you lose your focus, you will have a big disaster with the boat, most mm -hmm. likely. So it sets you in like a mindfulness position where you're completely focused on the weather, what's happening there and so on. And so I think especially like when you work and working very hard and having challenging leadership roles, I think that's a very good way of getting out and disconnecting from every, everything else. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think as a metaphor, I think there are other parallels also, right? Because when you are sailing, yeah, you, are, you have to adjust to the situations around you, like the wind, the speed of the wing, and you yeah. can still go wherever you want to go, but you cannot dictate your terms, right? So how does that relate to no, leadership? No. Because many times leadership, uh, like people see it as having control or directing, but I use these words like many times navigation more appropriate to leadership. So how mm. do you see that maybe sailing as a hobby or as something which you do has helped you become a better leader or letting go of that control and more navigating and more guiding people. Yeah, I think it's a definitely a very relevant parallel, but also I think I can deepen that a little bit and take experience from when I was working as an officer at the Navy. And when you are in the Navy, perhaps opposite to, to some other areas of the armed forces, you are very, for, sometimes for a long time, you are a small society of people being put together out at sea and you don't have anywhere to go. So you, have, you are really dependent on each other. And I think that is also parallel to it when you're running a big corporation. You can give orders because you have the legal right to give orders if you are an officer to the others. But if they don't trust you and if they don't believe you and if they have other conflicts, the people around you, that is affecting what you're doing. The output is not going to be good anyway, even though you're giving the orders. So I think I've, I, you know, I've learned that quite early and I had some really good officers above me who are I would say very sensible human beings with a lot of empathy and still an ability when we are having a tougher exercise, the weather was bad, where we were being under attack, or whatever, they could take quick decision, everyone trusted them. But between that, they could see the human behind you and they could sense if there was a conflict, it could be a family matter at home, it could be two colleagues having an argument or whatever. And they were very quick at grasping that and sorting out all that areas. And I think that's also when you're sailing and being at sea, you talk about happy ship being a happy ship. And it's very much about that, trying to understand each other, being together. And I think that's the same thing in an organization and company as well. So it's like, uh, it's like a little bit society in miniature. And also, of course, being a captain at the ship is also being a, a CEO of a company, but some, but actually people are dependent on you with their lives and you, they cannot go home at five o'clock and be with their family because they have to stay with you overnight as well and be tired and grumpy and seasick and whatever. So it's a good exercise. Yeah. Thank you for sharing these, these patterns. And before we wrap up, right, can you share now, like in this new part of your journey, what gives you the most satisfaction or joy at the end of a day? Uh, in, yeah, in this part of a journey, it's definitely when we find, I would say when we find a company which we believe in, not only is a good financial investment, because of course that's thing, but we also feel like this is a good fit with the team. This is a good fit together with the other investors we have. And we see it, okay, this is something we believe in together and now we are embarking a new journey it's a new opportunity and we are allowed to also be a part of this journey i think that's extremely energizing and inspiring because then it opens up a lot of opportunity we get a new a new company new product and be and a little bit be a part of it as well even though it's yeah. the founding team that's in the driver's seat yeah i think that's a wonderful place to to end our conversation as well because you kind of summarized it like the balance between the financials or the numbers or the data 
with the leadership, with the vision and with the, like, I think the metaphor of sailing as well, like you, you need to have your numbers, you need to have your data, you need to have that control. But when it comes to people, when it comes to like your own vision, then it's more like sailing rather than like, like putting in data or controlling data on like analytics or something like that. So thank you, Eric, for sharing Absolutely. everything that you shared, for sharing your journey, first of all, and for doing what you I do. do. I think that's much more needed and it's a courageous step when uh, like, a, like a CEO or an executive takes a big jump to the other side, right? In the founders and startup world. So thank you for doing that. And I want to wish you all the best as you move ahead in the journey. Likewise, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to participate. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast. And I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction. This is what I do most naturally. To lovingly and gently provoke you to help you see your own light. To help you see what you are already capable of. If you like the sound of it, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs ups, ratings and reviews mean a lot to me and my team. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality. And thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit and until next time, keep choosing leadership.